The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. To learn who rules over you, simply find out you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. Today it's time for our Friday show with Dr. Peter Hammond, so let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? I'm with you, thank you, Andrew. Excellent, and uh, just before we get into the show today, folks, if I can just open my uh, website here, uh, I want to draw your attention to Peter's new website, which is the Frontline North America website. And I'm going to give you the link here over the air. It is front... Um, oh gosh, it's not coming up. Here it is. Uh, FrontlineMissionNA.org. FrontlineMissionNA for NorthAmerica.org. But there's also a link in the post for this show to the Frontline North America bookstore. So all the books that we've been talking about on the show, you can now get dispatched from the USA, which is going to be more stable, potentially, than having them dispatched from South Africa. So it's really for anyone who wants to order books, you've got a good place to go to now, and you also get to support the Frontline Fellowship uh, mission. Peter hasn't asked me to say this, I say this because, as you know, I don't take donations anymore. Uh, But uh, I direct any people who want to support the show to support Frontline Fellowship because, as you will see from the traditional Christian message and all the shows Peter does on here every week, completely for free, there is a wealth of information that Peter has given us over the years and he continues to do that on the ground, both in his sermons and his missionary work, not just in Africa, but throughout the world. So, Peter, any comments before we start today's show? Well, thank you. It's been a tremendous privilege, and we are continually inundated with invitations and opportunities for ministry throughout Africa. It is quite exciting what's going on here because statistically, Africa is becoming the most Christian continent in the world. We've got more Christians in Africa, 600 million, than probably any other continent in the world right now. But having said that, most pastors in Africa have no Bible college training, some don't even have a Bible, and Over 100 million churchgoers in Africa don't even have a New Testament, let alone a Bible. So our mission is trying in the discipleship side to provide literature, Bibles and Bible teaching for churches in Africa, which are so fast growing. It's predicted by 2050, there'll be more Christians in Africa than probably all other continents combined. So it's it's a major challenge for us 
to win Africa for Christ and disciple it. And I think we're going to have a tremendous impact in, in uh, the world. We can see the people in Africa are open and they're teachable if we can get to them with the Bible as opposed to the political garbage and the uh, name it, claim it, and frame it, uh, gab it and grab it, prosperity cult and health and wealth message and so much of what I'm afraid unhealthy things that come from the gospel according to Hollywood. So it's a challenge and we're busy with this every day uh, seeking to reach and teach Africans and I believe that we will see a great army uh, for Christ throughout Africa making a big impact as we have already succeeded in doing in Zambia, in South Sudan, seeing some parts of Africa won for Christ to such an extent that they ban abortion, pornography, they make a stand against the LGBTQ perversion agenda, telling the West to get lost when they're trying to bring all their critical race theory nonsense to us. And the people in Africa are standing firm on a whole lot of things which other parts of the world have caved on. Over here, it's very straightforward that there's only two genders and things like that, and uh, that marriage can only be between a man and a woman. So are we winning some battles here? which are very hard to win in other parts of the world. Africans are traditionally very conservative and we find them more receptive, but you've got to reach them. And when we do reach them, they do respond well. Thank you so much, Peter. So um, that being said, as you all know, one of the my favourite topics is prophetic work. I listen to a lot of prophetic shows. And today's show is the real story of the book of revelation and its relevance today so i'm really looking forward to this one peter where would you like to start us off today with this topic well this is a bit of rushing and where angels fear to tread not even the great john calvin gave a bible commentary on revelation he gave commentaries in every book of the bible except revelation i think he ran out of time in life before he could get to it but it is daunting and of all the books in the bible i have to summarize this probably the hardest but it is important to know Revelation is not only the last book of the Bible, it is so relevant to today, and it's the most popular book of the persecuted church. So I've done a lot of work amongst the persecuted church the last 40 years, and the persecuted church love the book of Revelation because they can resonate with it and they can identify so much with it, and they are encouraged by the fact that at the end we win, and that uh, the Lord will bring all things uh, to uh, his throne and he will judge the wicked and those who seem to have escaped justice on earth will not escape justice in eternity. So we need to understand Revelation. It might be difficult to interpret and some people may be confused, but we shouldn't ignore it. John is the author. He is the author of the fourth gospel and the three epistles, first, second, third John, and he's the writer of the last book of the Bible. The last surviving apostle was John and while in exile on a small barren island of Patmos, located in the GNC, John received a series of visions from our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the title, of course, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The amount of people who speak about revelations, there's no such book as revelations. I've heard people talking about, you know, I know the whole Bible from genetics to revelations or um, um, revolutions and so on. And <clears throat> unfortunately, those people say they know the Bible backwards, but maybe they should learn it forwards to start with. The book of Revelation <clears throat> was written plainly prior to the Jewish war of AD 67 to AD 70 because Revelation 2 verse 9 and 3 verse 9 indicates that Christian Jews and unbelieving Jews were still intermingled at the time of writing. But after the destruction of Jerusalem, AD 70 destruction temple, a very sharp religious 
cultural and legal division between Christians and unbelieving Jews ensured. And so the book of Revelation had to be written prior to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, but before the death of Nero, 8th of June, AD 68, and before the Jewish war began on AD 67, but after the outbreak of Nero's persecution of Christians in November, AD 64. So basically, Revelation was written about AD 65. It speaks to the first century church concerning the tribulation which they were entering. Revelation 1.9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. This indicates also along with Revelation 11 that the temple was still standing in Jerusalem when the book of Revelation was written. Revelation 11 speaks about go and measure the temple. And if the temple had been destroyed, it would have been referred to like I couldn't refer to recent history without referring to the fall of the Berlin Wall and the collapse of the Soviet Union. These were major events of my lifetime and you could not mention it. Well, the destruction of the temple was even more significant for the people of the first century. And there's no mention of the destruction of the temple. In fact, all indications of the temple were still standing when the book of Revelation was written. Also, <clears throat> along with Luke 21 and Luke, uh, Luke 21 verse 5 to 7, Luke 21 verse 24. These were fulfilled in the Jewish war with Rome from spring AD 67 to destruction of Jerusalem in August AD 70 was a period of 42 months, which fits the precise measurement of the prophecy in Revelation 11 verse 2, 42 months. So the theme of Revelation is the judgment of God upon the generation that had committed the greatest crime in history which is the betrayal and the murder of the Messiah. They had rejected and crucified the Lamb of God. Jerusalem is the harlot and Rome is the beast. The wrath of God was poured out on Jerusalem with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And a book that I found very helpful was reading Before Jerusalem Fell, Dating the Book of Revelation by Ken Gentry, which I think is the definitive book on the dating of the Book of Revelation. But this is the key theme. Jerusalem is the harlot or the prostitute and Rome is the beast. And the worst crime in history was the murder of the Messiah. And this book of Revelation is primarily about God's judgment upon that great crime and those responsible for it. Those that said, we have no king but Caesar. Release Barabbas, crucify Christ, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Revelation is the consequence of it. And to not to see that is to miss the fact that Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived, the only truly honest person who ever lived, and that the betrayal and murder of Christ was the worst crime in the history of mankind. Now, the historic context of Revelation is given in Re Revelation 1.4, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches in the province of Asia, to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, Real first century Christians and actual churches in historic cities were being addressed. The first century Christians were meant to read and understand the message of Revelation as most relevant to themselves. What must soon take place, Revelation 1 1. The time is near, Revelation 1 verse 3. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, Revelation 1 verse 7. <clears throat> I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, Revelation 2.16. I'm coming soon, Revelation 3.11. The things which must soon take place. Behold, I'm coming soon, Revelation 22.6-7. to 
Behold, I'm coming soon. Revelation 22, verse 12. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Revelation 22, verse 10. Now compare that with Daniel 12, verse 9, where the prophecies were told to be sealed up because the time was a long way off. And Daniel 12, verse 9 was talking about events that were going to take place in about four, five hundred years' time. And they were told, seal up these prophecies. The time is a long way off. And yet, <clears throat> there's some people who think the book of Revelation has nothing to say to the first century church. It's only dealing with spacecraft and <clears throat> helicopters and things going on in the desert and something really recent. <clears throat> but we need the historic context to understand how relevant it is to today as well. Now, compare the apocalyptic language of coming with the clouds with in Isaiah 19 verse 2. See the Lord rides in a swift cloud. He is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him. The hearts of the Egyptians melt within them. He makes clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind, we read in Psalm 104. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. So Christ's hearers understood his coming to be in judgment upon their generation. Coming in the clouds is apocalyptic language, speaking of coming in judgment. So the Lord came to Egypt, Isaiah 19 speaks of, he came to Egypt in judgment. And he certainly came to Jerusalem in AD 70 and judged the generation that had condemned him and said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And you can see it because our Lord Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 34, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And so Jesus was speaking about an event that was coming uh, far enough in advance that not everyone would be alive, but close enough that some people would still be alive. <clears throat> and so we read in uh, Matthew 27, verse 25, Therefore I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And so upon you has come all the righteous blood that has been shed in earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Matthew 27, verse 25, and the people answered, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Revelation 11, verse 8 says, their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Okay, so what city were they talking about? The city where the Lord was crucified, that's pretty clear, that's got to be Jerusalem. So their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So plainly, uh, the, the harlot is uh, Jerusalem. And then we read in Revelation 17, verse 3, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit to the desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names, had seven heads and ten horns. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on earth. Revelation 18.24 And the harlot being referred to in Revelation is plainly Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a harlot. They claim to be married to Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, and yet they are plainly in bed with the world, particularly with Rome. Revelation 17, verse 7 to 14, clearly identifies Rome and the emperor Nero. Rome was built on seven hills. Nero was the sixth emperor of Rome. 
he reigned until the after the death of his five predecessors, and he ruled before the brief rule of the seventh emperor. So Josephus, the first century historian, listed the first emperor of Rome as Julius Caesar, followed by Augustus, Tiberius, Caius, Caligula, uh, Claudius, and then Nero. Revelation 17.10, five have fallen. The first five emperors were dead. One is the sixth emperor, Nero, was reigning, as John wrote. Nero reigned from October 54 AD to the 8th of July AD 68. The other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. Well, the seventh emperor, Galba, reigned only six months until 15th of January, AD 69. Now, the message of Revelation, the word Revelation means unveiling. God is in sovereign control of all the events of human history. Even during times of violent persecution when evil seems pervasive, Christians should be encouraged. Our Lord Jesus Christ will ultimately frustrate and confound and conquer all his enemies. Christ will come again in glory to judge and to rule. So Revelation is first and foremost a revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of all the kings of the earth. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the Son of Man, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose voice is like the sound of many waters, who has in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in all its strength. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. That's Revelation 1.18. And the Son of Man is described in chapter 2, verse 18, as he who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet is like fine brass. Revelation 3.7. He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts, and he shuts and no one can open. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Revelation 3.14. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, 5.5. Five. The Lamb who was slain, 5 verse 12. The Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, who will shepherd them and lead them to living waters, fountains of living waters, Revelation 7.17. Revelation 11.15 speaks of the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So many of these verses are pounded out in Handel's Messiah in the most powerful and wonderfully inspiring way. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have judged all these things. Revelation 19 says, After all these things I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlots who corrupted the earth with their fornications. He has avenged all the blood of her servants shed by her. And I heard as for the voice of a great multitude and the sound of many waters and the sound of many thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Another verse that gets pounded out and handles Messiah so powerfully. And that's one of the few times that the drums roll. For the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he will strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. 
On his robe and on his thigh, a name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So the message of Revelation is first and foremost the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And it details cosmic conflict. The kingdom of God is in conflict with the forces of Satan. Revelation 13 describes a beast with many heads and horns. The dragon gives the beast power, a throne, and great authority. And the beast mouths blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. In other words, the saints have already died and gone to be with the Lord. The beast makes war with the saints and gains authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And so the beast will capture and kill the people of God. There will also be another beast, a religious beast, who will have worldwide authority, who causes the earth and all who dwell in it to worship the first beast. He deceives those who dwell on the earth. So the scripture makes clear that this devilish power will work to bring about a one-world government and a one-world religion with a one-world economic system. And those who refuse to follow this one-world religion will be persecuted and killed. The word of God warns us of a devilish system that seeks to impose a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world economic system. It will be identified by its blasphemies and its hostility towards God and his name, as well as its hostility towards believers of the past, those who are in heaven now. So throughout history, there have been those who sought to impose their political and religious will on the world, such as Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and Caesar Nero of Rome, who commanded everyone in the empire to worship him. They were to place the ashes of the incense they had burned before his image on their forehead, before they were allowed to trade in the marketplace. From Babel to Babylon, from Rome to the French Revolution, from the Soviet Union to Red China, those who seek to impose a one-world government and a one-world religion all to seek to control the economy. And they pour out blasphemies against God and against his people, persecuting those who refuse to bow to their political and religious will. They make war on the saints and they attempt to stamp their mark on all that they have power over. And we read in Revelation 6 verse 9, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until a full number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed as they were, was completed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, so that no one may buy or sell except him who has the mark or the number of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for this is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, many Bible scholars have focused on how the mark would be placed on the right hand or the forehead, perhaps by a tattoo or more recently as the technology has become available by a microchip. Now, these methods are, of course, all possible. But the emphasis in Scripture on our way of thinking and on our actions, we command in the Word of God to bind His law on our hands and on our foreheads. This is speaking about having a way of thinking governed by the Word of God, having our actions governed by our forehead and our hands. Many people already have the mark of the beast without any tattoo or microchip. When you allow your way of thinking to be conformed to the world, when your actions are in conformity to what Satan wants, then you already have the mark. 
we're commanded in the Bible, do not follow a crowd to do evil. Now, the beast in Revelation 13 is a counterfeit of Christ. He is an antichrist. Just as Christ is the exact image of God begotten of the Father, so the beast is an image of Satan, whom Satan brings forth. Christ has many crowns and worthy names, and the beast has ten crowns and, a blasphemous, and blasphemous names. Christ has power and throne and authority from the Father. But the dragon gives the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. So you can see the satanic counterfeits throughout. Counterfeiting the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the beast recovers from a seemingly fatal wound in Revelation 13.3. We are to worship both the Father and the Son. And in Revelation, we see that Satan seeks to misdirect worship to the dragon and to the beast. Christ alone is worthy, for you have, were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The beast seeks the worship of the whole world, which by rights only belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ declares the praise of God. The beast utters blasphemies. The beast makes war against the saints. Christ comes to wage war against the beast. The beast has worship given to him, and he counterfeits a song to God in Exodus 15, verse 11, seeking to uh, be worshipped by the creation that should be worshipping only the creator. So you get the fake versus the true throughout um, Revelation. Satan is a counterfeit warrior. Behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. As we read in Daniel 7, verse 7, Satan attempts to counterfeit the creation of God, bring forth his image out of chaotic waters. A false prophet or a religious beast will attempt to counterfeit the work of the Holy Spirit, deceiving nations to worship the beast. As Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit, so Satan seeks to impose his mark on his subjects. Satan, the beast, and the false prophet form a demonic triad, attempting to counterfeit even the Holy Trinity. Satan is a deceiver. He deceives nations. He deceives the whole world, we read in Revelation 12.9. God is the creator. Satan is an imitator. Babylon, the harlot, attempts to counterfeit the bride of Christ. Ultimately, there's a battle between Christ and Satan. Mystery Babylon is described as religious prostitution. Revelation 17, Then one of the seven angels who had seven bowls came out and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast who was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and the filthiness of a fornication. On her forehead a name is written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and of all the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the of Christ. And when I saw her, I was marveled with great amazement. So Satan attacks the saints with persecution and through deception and disinformation and attempts to seduce and defile the servants of God. Revelation depicts an evil state and a whoremongering false religion, which together blaspheme God and persecute the faithful people of God. Through heretical teaching and threats and violence, God's people are assailed and afflicted. But we are called to stand fast against all temptation, to endure all suffering, and to remain faithful to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation 18, we read, 
And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. The first time our Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth as a savior, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the second time Christ will come not as a lamb, but as a lion, as the lion, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords, as the eternal judge to conquer and to defeat all his enemies. So in the book of Revelation, we see seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven last plagues, seven dooms and seven new things. So there are seven sevens in Revelation. In Revelation 1, John is granted a vision of Christ. On earth, John was comfortable enough to lay his head on Jesus' shoulder during the Last Supper. Yet when the Apostle Paul, who was the best friend of Jesus on earth, saw the risen ascended Christ, he fell on his face like a dead man. Jesus is the light of the world, and we call to be light to the world. The churches are depicted as lampstands, and Christ stands in the midst of the lampstands. He is described as a majestic and awesome. He is clothed with a garment down to his feet, and he's girded around his chest with a gold brand, and his head and his hair are white as snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass refined in a furnace. His voice is like the sound of many waters. In his right hand are seven stars, and out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. His countenance is like the sun, shining in all its strength. He is the Ancient of Days. He is from the beginning to the end. He is all-knowing, everywhere present, all-powerful. He is the Eternal Judge, as depicted in Revelation 1, 12-16. Now, when Moses saw the Lord, his face shone. Job abhorred himself and repented in ashes. Isaiah saw himself as unclean. Thomas bowed down and declared, My Lord and my God. Saul, the persecutor, fell down and worshipped him and rose up to become the Apostle Paul, his missionary. It is impossible to encounter Christ and not be utterly transformed. The visions and the symbols and numbers used in Revelation all carry special meaning and they bring to mind similar images from the books of the Old Testament. And it's most constructive to actually study the book of Daniel and Revelation together. Four no normally refers to earth to a place such as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Six falls short of perfection. Six is the number of man. Seven means perfection or completeness. Twelve is the number of the tribes. It speaks of God's people. 144, 12 times 12 is the whole host of God's people. A thousand stands for a great number. So there's a lot of numerical significance in Revelation. We also read of the four living creatures around God's throne. Animal-like angels with features like that of a lion, a bull, and an eagle. Now, there are seven letters to the seven churches. Each letter refers back to an aspect of John's vision of Christ. Each contains a command, a commendation, and or condemnation, a correction, and a challenge. In the commendations and letters to the seven churches, the Lord commends hard work, patient labor, refusal to tolerate those who are evil, testing those who claim to be apostles and exposing the false, persevering in service for the Lord and not becoming weary and hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans, enduring tribulation, poverty, resisting the blasphemies of the synagogue of Satan, resisting Babylon the beast, holding fast to the Lord's name, refusing to deny the faith 
despite persecution and the threat of martyrdom, patient love, service, and faith, keeping God's word, being faithful to him, and overcoming the world. Those are some of the commendations. But the letters to the seven churches also has condemnations. The Lord condemns those who have left their first love, those who tolerate the doctrines of Balaam and the heresy of the Nicolaitans, those who tolerate idolatry and immorality, who allow Jezebels, who call themselves prophetesses, to teach and seduce God's people to commit immorality and idolatry. Being spiritually dead, tolerating the synagogue of Satan, these things are condemned. Being neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, being spiritually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked is condemned. But the letters to seven churches also have commandments. And the Lord commands, remember, repent, and repeat. Do not fear any of those things you're about to suffer. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. Hold fast what you have until I come. Keep my works. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. I counsel you to buy for me gold, refined in a fire, that you may be rich with white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, that I may anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Be zealous and repent. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Overcome the world. These are some of the commands. In the message of Revelation, we see every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that's in them worshipping the Lord together, Revelation 5.13. We see that Satan hates the people of God and will persecute them. We see that woe will come upon the whole earth because of those who refuse to repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality and their thefts. And God will destroy those who destroy the earth. Revelation 12.11, we read that the people of God will triumph over all their persecutors. And they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Those who have suffered for Christ and have been faithful to Christ will reign with Christ. All those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name will be tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever. That's Revelation 14, 10-11. Everyone will stand before God and be judged according to their works as recorded in the books in heaven. Revelation 20, 12. And God will condemn the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars to the lake of fire. Revelation 21 verse 8 lists the eight categories of people that God condemns. So there's quite a, a balance between Genesis and Revelation. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Revelation is a book of consummation. In Genesis, the heavens and the earth are created. In Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. In Genesis, the sun and the moon appear. In Revelation, there's no more need for the sun or moon because Christ is the light of the new earth and the new heaven. In Genesis, God plants a garden. In Revelation, he unveils the holy city. In Genesis, there's the marriage of the first man, Adam and Eve. And in Revelation, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the second Adam. In Genesis, you see the beginnings of sin. In Revelation, you see the end of sin. In Genesis, we are introduced to the greatest adversary and enemy, Satan, the accuser of the brethren. In Revelation, Satan is finally completely defeated and judged. In Genesis, tears and sorrow and pain and death are introduced as a result of sin. In Revelation, God wipes away every tear and there will be no more pain, no more suffering, grief or death. In Genesis, man is banished from the tree of life. In Revelation, the tree of life is in the center of the city. So the questions we should ask ourselves when we read the book of Revelation is, is your life marked by the world or by the word? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? 
Is the Lord Jesus Christ your saviour or is he your judge? Are you resisting Babylon and the beast? Are you faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ? So the revelation of Jesus Christ is the last book of the Bible. It's one of the most intriguing books in the Bible. It's extremely relevant to our age as we need to resist the new world order, the synagogue of Satan, the one world government, the one world economic system, the one world religious system. Uh, it's a message of resistance and great encouragement because we see the ultimate triumph of Christ and his kingdom over all its adversaries. Thank you, Andrew. Back to you. Thank you, Peter. I think that um, fascinating overview there. Um, and what a lot of people, they get confused. They say, well, how did Jesus write the book of Revelation? People talk about John writing the book of Revelation, I believe, was it on Patmos, um, what have you. Yes. So where is the relationship here? Is is God, um, sorry, is, is John basically uh, been somehow inspired by Jesus Christ or is Jesus Christ speaking through him? How does this work? Yes, well, bear in mind, first of all, Jesus chose his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles. He trained them, anointed them and commanded them to disciple the nations. But in addition to that, aside from the general preparation of John and John had the close relationship with the Lord, the Lord appears to him on the, on the Lord's day. And so the book of Revelation is a series of visions and messages given to him by Jesus Christ directly while he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos while he's in exile there. And so the revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is giving letters for the churches. He's giving revelations and visions to John. And John, his faithful disciple, has been guided by the Holy Spirit to record these down in the book form. And at the end of Revelation, we're told, do not add to the words of this prophecy. This is the end of the Bible. This is the completion. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. If you add to the Bible, you will have added to the plagues written in this book. If you cut away from it, you will have blessings taken away from you. Very serious and solemn promises and warnings. So Revelation is the capstone, the keystone, the conclusion of the Bible, and it's showing us where, we, where we're going. There's historical roots and basis in it, obviously, and uh, when you understand that Jerusalem is the harlot, Rome is the beast, and you understand uh, the big battles going on, then it helps you to see how relevant it is today. We look around and we do see people blaspheming Christ and his people and those who are in heaven now, the Christians who passed on, who are now in heaven. We see tremendous blasphemies, we see tremendous hostility, and we see moves for one world government, one world economic system, and a one world religious system, interfaith system. Tremendous intolerance for any other viewpoints. So it's super relevant to today, and we see in history, Satan's followers have tried to do this before, uh, controlling how people can buy and sell uh, by a mark that they've got to receive. And so right now, I think this is this book is more relevant now than ever before, which is why the persecuted church, whether you're talking about the persecuted church in China or North Korea or in Eastern Europe when communism was still persecuting them, this book has always been the greatest inspiration for the persecuted church. And it should be a great encouragement and help for us today as well. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And um, the the emphasis on Rome as well. Now, I know a lot of people, we don't talk about things like Vatican assassins on this uh, show, folks. As you know, we don't uh, divert people and try and lead them down the wrong uh, rabbit hole. Um, that's the worst of people in the independent media do that when someone's actually working their way towards the truth and someone hijacks them and sends them the wrong way at the end. I think that's appalling. But one cannot, 
there's a tendency of my own to sort of think, well, Rome's got no power today. But then if you look at, like, the Pope, and you look at uh, Catholicism, and, I mean, Catholicism is probably the biggest form of Christianity uh, in the West, I would say, today. There seems to be a lot more, um, you know, Catholic churches. And, and it, even if you look at, like, Latin American countries, it's always Catholicism that they go for, that form of Christianity. And when you look at what the Pope um, uh, promotes today, and, and you could argue that all popes since Vatican II, that's why there are some decent Catholics out there like uh, Eric Gajewski, who refers to themselves as a pre-Vatican II Catholic or a traditional Catholic or what have you. Um, so Rome still does have a, a, a role to play, a, a significant role to play. So when you uh, combine that with Jerusalem today or you know, the state of Israel is obviously occupying Jerusalem today. You can see there's an alliance that is still going on to this day. Is that am I right or wrong there, Peter? I, I think that that's very relevant because yes, we do see Jerusalem today still being used much like what it was back in the first century as a pivotal part in not just the political power play, but also religious and economic. And there are forces behind it. Now remember in the book of Revelation, you've got several warnings about the synagogue of Satan, multiple warnings also about Satan deceiving the nations. And when you think how many of the people who are affiliated and would fit the description that Jesus gives of the synagogue of Satan control the mass media, and not just big media, but big pharma, and so much of what's going on in big government. And so the blasphemy industry of Hollywood, the pharmaceutical industry, the vaccination industries, all the way through, many of the and the banks, which have led to how many of the wars. So the bank influence, or the banksters, as we like to call them, the gangster bankers, the banksters, um, all of these are part of what I warned about. And just as Jesus took a whip to the money changers in the temple when he came into the temple of Jerusalem, I'm sure you take a whip to so many of these bankers and the wars that they start today as well, uh, the corruption going on and impoverishing of people, the overtaxation. There's so much that we can see in Revelation that applies to today. When we understand historic roots, that the book of Revelation is primarily a revelation of Jesus Christ and an expose of those who are opposed to Christ, then we can immediately see today who are the people opposed to Christ today. The people who are pushing for one world government, people who are pushing for one world economic system, interfaith religion, those who are into much blasphemy. You can see exactly it's the same enemies. They manifest themselves slightly differently, but... The fingerprints all over it. The Lord's given the DNA right here. We can see exactly what we're fighting against. And you can see where, where the battle lines are drawn and on which side are we. Because when you get down to it, there's a war between Christ and Satan. And many people may not understand the war is not ultimately between left and right and west and east. The war is primarily between those who are the true children of God and those who are the antichrist, fake children of God, those who hate the true people of God and who hate God and blaspheme him. And so we, we see it, and the battle lines are particularly drawn on where do people stand on international finance, on one world government, where they stand when it comes to World Economic Forum, where they stand when it comes to blasphemy and so on. Plainly, we've got people here who really hate Christ, and that's, that's the uh, dividing line. We can see we are fighting those who are anti-Christ, or as Jesus called them, a synagogue of Satan. Yes, and... Um... It's also, I mean, when I think that, and it's only in the last few years, but there are 
parts of scripture I could get arrested for quoting now. Oh, because a certain so-called minority group is offended. But it's actually been around for a while in the UK. I'll see if I can find the headline here. Because there was a uh, an article, a Daily Mail article, um, in which a gentleman was basically... He had a... Some sort of... Uh, ca- here it is. Please tell cafe owner... Stop showing Bible DVDs or we will have to arrest you. And this is from the Daily Mail, the 25th of September 2011. I'll repeat the headline if you want to look it up. Please tell cafe owner, stop showing Bible DVDs or we will have to arrest you. Um, Now, isn't it interesting? You can show pornography, you can show blasphemy. That's not a problem. But you show Bible video, that's somehow offensive. Well, this is it. I mean, um, the first paragraph reiterates the headline. So the second one says, Jamie Murray was warned by two police officers to stop playing DVDs of the New Testament in his cafe following a complaint from a customer that it was inciting hatred against homosexuals. Mr. Murray, 31, was left shocked after he was questioned for nearly an hour by the officers who arrived unannounced at the premises. Now, for me, whatever these people want to do, you know, in society, governments, lawmakers, what have you, they have to, the whole law is based upon the Bible, okay? When you go to give evidence in court, you put your hand on that Bible and promise to tell the truth. So um, it's astonishing to me, whoever had the gall to think that they could start criminalizing and censoring aspects of the bible but if we go to another daily mail article here jewish leaders call for new editions of the bible and the quran to carry trigger warnings highlighting anti-semitic passages so here we have an example again from the daily mail of a group that wants to censor the bible and this was Yeah, this was 2018. So this is November 2018, nearly five years ago. Well, I just think of this passage in Revelation 17, Mystery Babylon, Mother of Prostitutes and Abominations of the Earth. Now, who coming out of Babylon, uh, there's been a lot of um, influences that's very occultic that comes out of Babylon, but who's been pushing for prostitution and abominations and perversion around the world? Who runs the pornography industry and all that? I just went on Saturday, uh, I should say Friday night, to see the Sound of Freedom film, which was absolutely tremendous, to see this um, uh, film exposing child sex trafficking and the uh, immorality uh, that's be industry that's being run there. Well, uh, this was amazing to see the Sound of Freedom. It's a great film. It's well worth seeing. It's a compelling film that's shining a really authentic light on the criminal horror of our time. Which, one which Hollywood's mostly shied away from. What was interesting, as I was writing my review on uh, Sound of Freedom, I noticed some other uh, reviews. The Times of Israel called it echoing anti-Semitic tropes. So Times of Israel condemned Sound of Freedom as echoing anti-Semitic tropes. Now, having seen the film, I had to stop and think, what is anti-Semitic about the film? It's exposing human traffickers, in this case, most of which seem to be Hispanic, drug dealers, criminals, terrorists, communists, and so on. But um, some of the paedophiles, like the first paedophile in the film that's caught, 
um, seems to be Jewish and has a Jewish name. But um, of course, there are many people who are involved in in uh, the child sex trafficking and the pornography industry who have a Jewish background. Many, and uh, when it comes to prostitution, in Hollywood. But um, here you've got a film that courageously, based on true stories, based on a real-life character, Tim Ballard and his Underground Railroad trying to rescue children from child sex trafficking, modern-day slavery, uh, which is feeding pedophiles. And next thing, the Times of Israel condemns the film as anti-Semitic. It reminds me of when Jim Caviezel was involved in the Passion of the Christ film, and they were accusing that of being anti-Semitic. Now, is Christianity anti-Semitic? Well, apparently, according to the um, Holocaust Museum in London that I went to, which is attached to the uh, Imperial War Museum, they claimed that anti, anti-Semitism began with Martin Luther and the Reformation. When I went to the Washington, D.C. Uh, Holocaust Museum with uh, General Ben Parton, uh, they had on the wall there that anti-Semitism began with the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, are they seriously trying to tell us that Jesus Christ is anti-Semitic and being a Christian or a Protestant is anti-Semitic? And now, if you are against uh, prostitution, uh, child sex trafficking, pedophilia, and uh, human trafficking today, you're anti-Semitic. And if you try to bring out a film about it, you're anti-Semitic. You try to bring out a film on the life of Christ, on the passion of the Christ, then the whole film's condemned as anti-Semitic, and the people involved in it, like Jim Caviezel, can never again get a good role in a Hollywood film. They've got to go into alternate studios. So it makes you wonder what on earth is going on, but I get this verse from Revelation 17.3, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and abominations of the earth. So as Revelation warns us about the synagogue of Satan and warns us about uh, those who claim to be the children of God but are not, but who lie, and warns us about Satan deceiving the nations, we need to watch out. In fact, part of the mark that's coming on many people is the mark of pornography and blasphemy. Hollywood is is reworking the world in its image and it's perverting the world. It's making what used to be God-fearing countries into blaspheming perverts. And uh, one of the condemnations of the Sound of Freedom film was that the Sound of Freedom film postulates the fiction that the world is run by an elite group of occultist devil worshippers who are um, child uh, involved in child sex trafficking and paedophilia. So, well, is that a theory or has that not been proven? Think of the Harvey Weinsteins and Jeffrey Epsteins and the Sabbateans of our days and the Clintons and uh, Oprah Winfrey's and others. I would have thought that uh, it's not a theory that there's a group of elite occultists who paedophiles running the world. I would have thought that that's pretty obvious by now as a fact. But if you state the obvious, you're now accused of hate speech. Yes, you are. And funnily enough, the very last line of um, the critical response section of the Wikipedia page on the Sound and Freedom film says the Times of Israel, Shira Lee Bartov, accused the film of echoing anti-Semitic tropes, including blood libel. So again, if there's no... I remember Eustace Mullins said his first book... It went under different titles. When I had a copy, it was Secrets of the Federal Reserve. This was the one that... um, Ezra Pound commissioned him to write, go and research in the Library of Congress and write it. And he said he was accused of anti-Semitism for publishing or writing that book. And he said, the funny thing is, the word Jew or Jew does not appear once in the book. He said, but he was still accused of anti-Semitism. 
So it's very interesting when you hear things like this because what I say on this show is we have to be consistent in pointing out their inconsistencies. So it's almost as if there's something that the accusers of anti-Semitism is in the film that they're aware of goes on. And so they almost jump the gun when it's not actually said in a film or in a book. And you have to sort of look at that and think, well, if it's not actually in the film or in the book, why are you saying it? Do you know something that we don't? Because there's really no other explanation. But Peter, we're coming up... Go ahead. The the, the Bible says that um, the wicked run when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Sorry, I was on mute. Excellent. And um, before we go, Peter, can you please let the audience know how they can contact you and where they can find your work? Yes, my email is peter at frontline.org.za. Peter, P-E-T-E-R, at frontline, F-R-O-N-T-L-I-N-E dot O-R-G dot Z-A. That's my email. Uh, You can also get hold of our mission, mission at frontline.org.za. And our website, frontlinemissionsa.org, is the main one with all of our links, audios, videos, and articles. But if you want to get some of our books and you live in North America or Europe, you'll find it best to go to frontlinemissionna.org, which is the North American section. They've got... Many of our books like Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam, uh, Behind Enemy Lines for Christ, books like that available. Um, and that's so much quicker, cheaper, and easier to ship uh, from Florida uh, than it is from um, here in South Africa, where our postal service, sadly, is very much uh, not working like the rest of the government. Thank you for allowing me to deal with this, Andrew. I should also add that uh, this um, summary I've given is taken from my book, New Testament Survey, as you know, I took a six-year project of preaching through every book of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and this was completed at the end of 2019, uh, end of, well, the beginning of 2019, and as part of our Reformation 500 program. So we've got the whole Old Testament survey, New Testament survey books available. Um, if I could add one other anecdote, when we were about to launch the Reformation 500, we had a big uh, event at uh, Cape Town Waterfront on the uh, in the auditorium there, big amphitheater, and we had the Euro choir, about a hundred voice choir from Europe, singing great hymns of faith like a mighty fortress. Reverend Erlo Stegen, this great German Lutheran missionary, was um, who's been blessed with revival, been involved in ministry for seven years. He was opening in prayer, and next thing we had security arriving saying they've got to shut this down. Now, we had all the permission and papers and so on for hiring out this uh, amphitheater in the middle of this tourist uh, center waterfront. Cape Town Harbour, uh, to have this song as uh, hour there. But um, the security came to me and said, a Jewish woman's complained that the man has mentioned the name of Jesus Christ and we've got to close this down. And I argued with them and I, to uh, stall for time. I asked for a supervisor and uh, all of this. And by the time the supervisor came, uh, the, they were singing Amazing Grace. Uh, the the uh, um, prayer had finished and the Audience was singing Amazing Grace with them, and I turned and I said, listen to the crowd, do you want to write? The people love this. But there there were, one person complained, and uh, the name of Jesus Christ was mentioned, I wanted to shut down the whole event, and this was uh, how we were launching our Reformation 500 event, and that we put up with this sort of thing, that the hostility of some people, that they can be so anti-Christ, and then we um, are being accused of being anti-Semitic, uh, while they don't see a problem with being anti-Christ, anti-Christian, anti-marriage, anti-white, anti-Bible, whatever it is, you can't quote the Bible. You, you can only use the name of Jesus as a swear word. You can't 
honor. Um, similarly, you can make the last temptation of Christ, that's Hollywood uh, chairs, but you make the passion of the Christ and they uh, boycott and blacklist everybody who is involved in the film and they will never get a, a proper career opportunity in Hollywood again after that. So we need to be very aware of these things. So the message that I gave today is actually the last chapter in the New Testament survey book, which seeks to summarize every book in the Bible. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And incidentally, the show image for today is you actually finishing it. It's you uh, finishing that bit in the book, uh, that image of you. Is that correct? Um, is this uh, at the desk surrounded by all yes. my books? Yes. Com yes, I was completing the last chapter of uh, New Testament Survey at that time. That's correct. Excellent. OK, well, I want to thank Peter so much for joining us today on a show entitled The Real Story of the Book of Revelation and its Relevance Today. Peter and I will be back with you at the same time next week. I'll be back with you all tomorrow. And until then, folks, thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye for now.